We have our amazing, wonderful uh, Kate, one of my favorite speakers, who's going to be continuing, in fact, finishing this mini-series that we've been going through, really looking at some of the prophecies in Isaiah. So let's give it up for Kate this morning. Thank you so much. So preparing for uh, today's message yesterday, as I boiled my Christmas puddings... Oh, come on, this is a big deal. I've managed to do them. You should be impressed. I bought my Christmas puddings. Thank you. I did say to my family, how would it be if I bought a Christmas pudding this year? And my son said, we would be really, really disappointed and you would have failed us. So anyway, I haven't done that. As Anyway, as I did, I was reminded of a story that I once heard an old Pentecostal preacher tell. So I won't do it justice in the way that old Pentecostal preachers do. But it was the story, roughly speaking, of a man who had a prophetic word that he was going to win the lottery. And from this, he was then going to fund some amazing work for the Lord. He was going to transform the community. So obviously, very excited by this. He prepares himself for the weekly draw and um, prays into it and is ready for this blessing from the Lord. And nothing. He did not win. So he's disappointed, but not completely thrown. He goes back into prayer, prepares himself for the next draw. And again, nothing. Strange. But he's Pentecostal, so his enthusiasm is not diminished. He gathers his friends and they pray and they declare the word of the Lord will be fulfilled. He will win the lottery and the next week, nothing. So he's a bit perturbed by this point. So he goes to see his pastor because he's a good Pentecostal preacher. That's what you do. Uh, And his senior pastor uh, joins him in prayer and they have a moment of waiting on the Lord. And in the midst of this moment, the Lord speaks clearly and with beautiful clarity says, will you at least meet me halfway and buy a ticket? And I'm reminded of that this morning as we look at a passage from Isaiah. The reason will become clear later. But you might want to turn with me to Isaiah 61, because that's the passage that we're looking at this morning. And as Tom says, this is the third in our series, looking at some of the prophecies from Isaiah as we prepare in this season of Advent for that moment of recognizing the birth of Jesus. But read with me Isaiah 61. We're going to be looking at um, verses 1 to 4. You'll see the words on the screen, or you can uh, follow them with me. And this is the prophetic poem that is written there. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, And provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And it carries on, but I'm going to pause there because this will be continued. But I want to pause and recognize for a moment... A promise in this prophetic word of good 
news. Good news is quite welcome at the moment. When I turn on my radio in the mornings, there doesn't feel like there's a lot of good news that flows forth. And even better, this is specifically good news for people who are described as being poor. Now, it doesn't mean poor financially. What it means is those who are poor in spirit. Literally, those who are at a low ebb, those who are feeling tired, maybe weak, they're finding things tough. I don't know how your uh, spirit is feeling at this stage as we're preparing for Christmas, getting things done. In my household, we are roughly at the stage where all the parcels that I panic bought a week ago are now arriving. And I can't remember what's in them. And when I open them, I can't remember why I bought them or who I thought they would be perfect for. But they're obviously good gifts for someone. I'm sure you're much more organized than me. But maybe you're holding things that are even more challenging this, this Christmas. This prophecy speaks of a person, someone who will, it promises, literally put back together those who have been broken. That's what that passage, bind up the brokenhearted, literally means. It's a putting back together of people who feel like life has just broken them. There's a promise for those who feel trapped, trapped personally, trapped in a situation, trapped emotionally, that they will be freed. There's a promise for those who feel caught in dark times or dark places, that they will be released from those dark places. And instead of those difficult things, for those who have lost or mourn, or grieve things that have been lost in this life. There are three promises that use this phrase that we translate instead of. And it literally means it's a replacing of something that was bad with something that was good. Not just the cessation of something bad and difficult, but a literal flipping over of the circumstances to replace something bad with something good. So instead of ashes, there is this crown of beauty. This is a reference to the, the, the custom at the time for those who were in mourning to have ashes on their forehead. It was a sign of shame, a sign of humiliation, a sign that bad things had come to you. And instead of that, a crown of victory and celebration was promised. <coughs> Instead of the mourning and lamentation and loss, there's a promise of the oil of joy. Instead of this spirit of despair, which is a, a beautiful word in the original poem that encapsulates that kind of heaviness, the, the darkness, that sense that I think we've all probably had at some point of just, gosh, can I keep doing this? How long can I keep on? Instead of that spirit of despair, it's promised a garment of praise and celebration, thanksgiving to the Lord. All of these things, on a human level, we can read the replacement of something difficult with a positive emotional experience. But it's important that we also recognize in here there's an echo of something spiritual, something supernatural. So that crown of victory a victorious celebration of something that has changed. 
the oil of joy, oil in the Old Testament, always suggesting the anointing of the Lord. Oil in particular was used to anoint those who were priests, those who carried the message and the spirit of God out to other people. So the oil of joy, there's this sense of spiritual anointing. And of course, the praise and thanksgiving of God, a reorienting of our eyes from the things of earth that can feel so weighty up to the things of heaven. And this person spoken of in this prophecy, the anointed one, that word anointed is the, the one uh, which is related to the word from which we get the word for Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one, this person carrying something special, the supernatural spirit of the sovereign Lord will rescue us, will do all these things. And Johnny reminded us with the kids this morning of that moment in Luke Four, uh, sorry, of a moment later in Luke 2, where this amazing passage brings together those words. Because in Luke 4, there's this dramatic moment when a man goes into the temple and a gathering a bit like this of people who've come to worship, selects this very prophecy, this scroll, and reads it before saying to the people, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfilled as in it's completed, job done. And that man is the baby who in Luke 2, we see a celebration and the promise of his birth as the angels say, don't be afraid. I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone everywhere. Today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord, the Messiah. So we see a sort of overlap of all these moments. And as we read this prophetic word, we're, we're holding in our mind almost three different moments. We've got the moment of it originally being written to a people who were then uh, just coming out of exile, who'd been devastated, who were wondering, when was God going to speak again? They were waiting for the Lord. And then we've got in mind this moment when Jesus was born, this overlap with that passage from Luke when a rescuer was born, a rescuer came to earth, the Lord. And, of course, we also hold it with our perspective now. What does this mean to us now? And that baby, the passage from Luke 2 tells us, there's some unexpected and amazing things there. Not just carrying the spirit of the Lord, but Luke tells us this was the Lord. This is God on earth. You know, the, the magnitude of the amazement then to those people is hard for us to understand. The idea that the Spirit of God, that the actual Lord could be present on earth was almost ridiculous. They follow this series of rules and rituals and regulations because even to be in the presence of that spirit was so dangerous to humans because we weren't holy like the Lord is. The idea that he could come and become human, it's, it's hard for us to understand how shocking that would have been. Perhaps on another level we can, we can understand something else slightly unexpected though because 
if we were holding that prophecy from Isaiah in our minds and then we heard and read those words of Luke, something might clash. A, a rescuer is, is born, born? I don't know about you, but I read that prophecy and I'm thinking of more than a baby. I'm not sure a baby could pull off all of those things. It feels a bit premature. I don't know about those of you who have babies at home or babies in your life, maybe nieces, nephews, friends, babies, grandchildren. Uh, My babies are not babies anymore, which I'm mostly very thankful for. But when they were babies, they had potential, but they weren't the finished product. I knew they would become adults. I reminded myself of that sometimes in the long nights I was trying to get through, but they weren't there yet. We saw in our babies the flicker of what they would become. So my, uh, my daughter, Leah, who some of you have met, she's not around this morning, but uh, she was always a singer. She always sang. Almost from the moment she could speak, she sang. She used to drive us absolutely crazy because she would sing through the night. Leah uh, didn't really sleep that well, but she wasn't bothered. She was quite happy about it. She was having a party in her cot. She would sing songs. She was particularly fond of, um, of the Tim Hughes Happy Day song. You know that one? Oh, happy day. And she would sing it round and round on a loop at 3 a.m. Oh, happy day. He washed my sin away. And it would pause and we'd think, oh, she's gone back to sleep. And then, oh, happy day. She would start off again. She was always singing. I do remember a time when she was really cross with me and that night at 3 a.m. when she woke and decided to sing her favorite song, when she got to a bit later, she sang, he isn't alive, he isn't alive. Those of you who know the song will know Jesus is alive. Anyway, she was cross with me and I knew it. She's always been a singer. She still sings now. Some of you heard her singing last week. We saw the flicker then of the promise of the adult she would be. My son, meanwhile, he learned to walk, not walking, but playing football. Our first video of him on his feet is kicking a ball, and he still does a lot of that now. So we know in our babies that they will become adult. We know there's a promise of something that's coming. But we don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. We know we have a part to play. There's something we need to do to cherish them, to nourish them, to release them as they grow so that they can become everything, all the promise that they hold within them. And of course, in Jesus' case, it was even more complex because he did become a man and then he died. And for a lot of people, they would think, well, what happened? That was the end. That promise was never fulfilled. But of course, Jesus came back from the dead. And in that is the fulfillment of this promise which Isaiah proclaims so proudly. But we still don't see the full release of that promise. So in Advent, we recognize the waiting of those people that was fulfilled by the birth of Jesus, but we also echo with them a sense of waiting and yearning for something that hasn't yet been fulfilled. We've journeyed in this series about the longing that we still have for God to see the things of God finally brought to pass, to see the kingdom of heaven on earth, to see good things replace the bad, to see the wars cease, to see suffering and all the things that we long for. And we've celebrated the light. We've remembered that God brings hope to us, that there is a light that can hold even in the middle of darkness. 
But let's go back to that prophecy because it carries on. We haven't quite finished verses 1 to 4. So it continues like this. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And I wonder if you notice a change in emphasis. Because the first part that we looked at was all about this rescuer, the, the, the me, the person speaking. But suddenly the focus has changed from this rescuer to a, a mysterious they. Now, my, my mother is a big believer in they. She often says to me, they say, usually when I'm doing something wrong, and she's saying, they say, you should do it this way. I say, who is they? It's very important to know who they is. Are they very wise, wonderful people who know? Or is it that she's read it in the Daily Mail? Quite often the latter. But who is they, therefore, in this? And they are those who were spoken of in the beginning, in the start of the prophecy. Those who were at a low ebb, whose spirit was weak, who felt exhausted, who were perhaps feeling trapped or in prison, in darkness. Those who were grieving losses. This they is those whose lives have been transformed by God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this really, really matters in our time, in our perspective as we hear this prophecy again. Maybe we've heard it before and become familiar with it. We hear so much in Advent, on our social media, in the books we're reading, in our reflections that we're perhaps listening to about this light, about our longing for the Lord, the light that comes, all the things that we've thought about in this series. But it's so easy in a world where the cultural narrative is very individualistic for that to become basically a self-serving thing. It's lovely and warm and sort of fuzzy and it makes me feel a lot better. And I can sit in my nice little house in my comfortable circumstances and be reminded that the Lord brings me light and hope. It's a sort of introspective reassurance and comfort. And if you were at the carol service last week, you will have heard me talking about one of the most reliable tendencies that we have as human beings is that, particularly in tough times, we do tend to narrow our focus and become quite egotistical, quite us-focused. Particularly in challenging times, we retreat in, we narrow our focus, we worry most about us, our own, those we love, those who are like us, our group of people who we recognize to be similar to us. But actually what this prophecy reminds us is that the transforming light of Advent is about so more than just good news for us and the people who are like us. The call of God to his people is about bringing freedom to others. And it always has been. So this is a message about liberty and this morning we should reflect on the amazing promise of liberty and freedom and release that God offers us and has enabled through Jesus. But it isn't the end of the story. Maybe you've heard the, the often quoted saying of Jesus when he said to the people, I am the light of the world. Actually, what he says, if you look that up in its fullness, is while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
later, speaking to his disciples, preparing them for this season of renewed waiting for the final culmination of this promise, what he said to them is crucial. He said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. In John 17, verse 18, he said explicitly something that I think is a huge challenge to us today. He said that as God sent Jesus to this earth, in the same way Jesus sends us then out into the world. Everything that we hope and long for and see with amazing relief and love and joy and praise in Jesus, Jesus then says, right, take that out into the world. There is something of the miracle of how God's spirit works, that us who were feeling low in spirit at a low ebb at the end of our sort of life and energy force become the people who then bring that transformation and freedom to others. We who are transformed are the ones who go on to carry God's transforming power to transform others. You know, our church is part of a network that believes, apart from in the revitalization of the church, we believe in the transformation of society. We're not here just to have a lovely time together on a Sunday morning. We are people who are called to bring light to the world. This is a partnership. We have a part to play in this as we wait for the final combination of everything that's promised in this prophecy. There are things that God calls us to do. But we don't do them under our own strength and our own power. We do them because we are anointed by the Lord to carry something beyond ourselves. So what are we called to do? Four things just to remind you that that final part of the prophecy says. Firstly, we are called to put things right that are wrong. Some of you, I believe here, there are things that you are seeing even right now that are just wrong. They should not be like that. You know something in your spirit catches. Jesus says, you are called to put things right that are wrong. We are called to rebuild things that have been reduced to rubble, to restore what has or maybe people who have been devastated, to renew what appears to be ruined. We have been through a time where many people have been devastated. Many things have been destroyed. Many people's hopes have been dashed. Maybe they feel like things are just ruined. It's over. We are called to be people who will defiantly bring hope to those situations, who will speak light and who will be part of God's turning around of those situations because some of those stories are not over. We might think they are, but the Lord has other plans. This is about the chance and the calling we have to enable and carry the spirit of the sovereign Lord. Our anointing to bring something of that transformation. As we celebrate and rejoice in our liberation, what God says is that we, the liberated, are now called to bring that liberation, the expression of God's liberty, to other places that haven't yet experienced it. So why don't we just stand? We're going to have a moment just to pause with the Lord. If you're willing and able to do that, join me. Let's just stand. And um, before we hand back to the band for uh, another moment of praise, we just want to wait on the Lord. We don't want to miss something. And first of all, let me say that 
this call out isn't one that we're supposed to do out of somehow gathering our own strength in defiance of actually still feeling at a low ebb. This starts with our liberation, with our freedom. Maybe today you're stood in this room thinking, actually, I feel really knackered today. I feel really tired. I don't even know how I'm going to get through the rest of today. Never mind, go out and transform society. This isn't a one-off renewing of our energy. This is something the Lord promises through his grace to do again and again. So if you are struggling today, we would love to pray with you, to hold that with you. But we do want to pause and pray because it feels like today there is something special that God wants to do for some of you. Maybe you already know that you are called to do some of those things. Maybe you're already doing it. Maybe there are people you are already trying to rebuild things that have been devastated, you're already trying to restore wrongs that you're trying to put right. But maybe today the Lord is placing a new thing in your heart. You can feel it just burning inside you right now, the nudge of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord. And we want to pray for you. So you might want to hold your hands out as I pray, and then we'll hand back to the band. So Lord, we do first of all pray For all of us, recognizing our frailty, that our energy runs out, that sometimes we get sick or dispirited in despair. Sometimes we face situations we cannot see a way through. Lord, I pray right now for your spirit of freedom and light and life to fall on those in this room who need that the most. Restore our energy, Lord. Fill us with joy in place of mourning. Bring light to darkness, cease pain, bring healing and relief to those who need it the most. But secondly, Lord, I pray for your liberating spirit to nudge us. And Lord, for those in this room who you particularly have a calling for, something you would love them to do, speak to their souls right now, Lord God. In this time of waiting, may it be a time of preparation. May we who are liberated become the expression of your liberty, Lord God. Help us to be good carriers of that spirit. The world needs it so much. So we thank you for your grace and your kindness. And we take this time to pause with you, Lord. Speak to us. We are ready to hear your call this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.